episode of Chillin' with Teddy G, where we discuss anything and everything without no sugar and no frost. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, everything here is uncooked. We're serving it up to you raw. So thank you for letting me into your home. I want you guys to go and get your favorite cup of coffee, tea, or latte, and join me for the next few minutes of Chillin' with Teddy G. Today's episode will continue on part two of Two America. All right, listeners, I hope you got your cup of coffee and your tea and you're ready to jump right in to uh, part two of the two Americas. Oh, I knew I wasn't going to get no amen, but I don't care. That's the truth. Changing the South is a must. And if we intend to shift the moral direction of this nation and if the black caucus and black preachers don't demand that candidates focus on what is impacting 61% of black people, then we are abdicating our power and our reason for existing. We have listened to the political consultants enough. They say don't talk about poverty. They say we don't don't say we don't we don't have the money. They say somebody accused you of socialism. Well, according to some folks' definition of socialism, Jesus was a socialist. So you don't worry about being accused. That's tell the truth. I wanted y'all to hear that again. So what do we have for fifty years? Republicans have racialized poverty. Yes. Democrats have run from poverty. Yes, they, they have. have. Come up with synonyms like. Uh, those working to get in the middle class. No, some people are poor and low wealth. And look at where that has gotten us. Look at where that strategy has gotten us. 150 years after the 15th Amendment, millions of black folks and poor whites and others have walked away from the ballot box because they don't believe going will make a difference. 100 million of them just sit out and many of them make up the 140 million poor and low wealth people because they and other poor Americans rarely hear a politician call their name or call their condition. And any nation that doesn't address poverty is in moral crisis. And we can't address it without taking on the interlocking injustices of systemic racism, ecological devastation, militarism, the war economy, and a distorted religious narrative and white evangelicalism that says the only thing God is concerned about is praying to school, being against gay people, being against a woman's right to choose guns and voting Republican. That is a heresy. Not just a lie, it's a heresy. Here's the third thing. The third thing I feel we must do is the Black Caucus came into existence for one purpose, to be the conscience of the Congress, period. That is why this caucus can't sound like either party. If we don't raise the issue of poverty and systemic racism and ecological devastation and the war economy, then the black caucus and the black church will have abdicated our moral responsibility. Did God you hear that? did not let us get into all these positions. We have now to be quiet on the very thing that our forefathers raised.
You don't get power and then get true. You get power and get ugly for your people. It's time. It's time to turn from convenience to conscience. Let me give you an example. Right now in Louisiana, in Cancer Alley, poor, mostly black people and some white face genocide from chemical corporation. If the black caucus and the black church don't demand that every presidential candidate go to Cancer Alley and demand that it be addressed, we are abdicating our responsibility. Cancer Alley, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, in Oak Flats, Arizona, the Apache Nations, Holy Land, Federal Land, their lands, our lands, have been given away to a multinational corporation for an open pit mine that will destroy the water, the land, and the water aquifers. If the caucus and black preachers don't demand that every presidential candidate address this issue, if they if they did it to an if they did an entire Native American community would be inspired to know who to vote for. In North Carolina, Tom Tillis led the effort for surgical racism. Every law they he put up when he was speaker, we beat him. And then, but he won by only forty thousand votes, running on the campaign that he produced the worst voter suppression of the 20th century. He also blocked two black women from even getting a hearing to be on the federal bench. He did that, and it was all covered up. And if we don't speak to that issue, then there's no wonder that 500,000 African-Americans don't vote in North Carolina or didn't vote because it is our responsibility to challenge the narrative. What America needs right now, and I know a lot of people have already endorsed candidates. I kind of wish y'all had held them. Held your endorsement till you get your issues, but anyway. What America needs right now is an endorsement of ideas, not personality. The question- You hear that? That's the question right there. And. and I wish them guys would have held their endorsements too until these guys' policy rained out in their ears or until they had a chance to to uh, hear what these guys were um, advocating on. You've endorsed these people without even not knowing what they stand for. And we can surely say we probably know your agenda behind that. But Black America and 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 uh, other ethnic groups that did not vote because you thought maybe your silence would be some type of message. No, you should have investigated the people who who were running in your in uh. uh uh, for your for your presidential candidates, for you for your your your, your local uh, uh, individuals in your area, and uh, found somebody who was standing on the policies that you needed to be heard, that you need something done about. 
some people who were standing on on your your uh, your issues, or someone who was at least close to uh, the issues that was of concern to you or your community. Or you just can't give up and and not vote, or you just can't say there's no candidate out there who who is worthy of your vote. This is the reason why 45 got in office. This is the reason why uh, um, mayors and and, and councilmen and and, uh, other people of uh, interest in your area who are not addressing the issues that you want addressed because you didn't vote. So you tell me that because of those issues right there that uh, uh, you're just going to let whatever happens in your community happen without your word, without your say-so, without your vote, without your voice? And then you sit back in your lunchrooms or you, 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 you sit back in your homes or in your local bars and then you discuss about the things that's not happening in your area and you've done nothing about it come on people come on now is not who can beat trump but who can enliven and span inspire the country and the electorate that's who can beat trump and the political extremism that goes along with it and if you're too scared in a primary to say who you really are and who you really with, how in the hell are you going to expect them to do that in a general election? Hello. Wake up, people. The caucus must demand a progressive Southern strategy. And the party that doesn't have a fully funded Southern strategy will lose. Keep messing around with these consultants. You let them keep telling you there's a blue wall somewhere. They tried that last time. Huh? Let me tell you something. Jesse, you know what you've been teaching us. There are 13 states from Virginia to Texas. Those 13 states hold 169 electoral votes. Which means that you just control those 13 states. You don't need but another 99. 100, 101 to become president. Those states, 13, control 33% of the United States House of Representatives. Which means you only need 21% or 20% from the other 37 states. Those 13 states control 26 Senate seats. Which means you only need 25 from the other 37 states to control the United States Senate. And this is at a time when the demographics say if you just increase by 5 to 10% the poor and low wealth people voting around an agenda, you could fundamentally shift the political calculus in North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, and watch this, Mississippi and Texas. And the outcome and any party or candidate that will just write off the South wants to lose. Now you hear that? They want to lose. The ones that write this off. 
and this is so important, ladies and gentlemen, because the election is coming up. You are finna have your presidential election again. We cannot let this man get back in office. It's time right now to let your voice and let your vote and let the issues that you stand for be heard. Before you start going and clicking or not going at all to these ballot boxes. Oh, people, I've said to you time and time and time again that a closed mouth don't get fed. You don't get heard. Then you, you, you expect to eat. You expect to be fed. You're going to go hungry. For the next years that this man could possibly hold in office. And since he's been acquitted. Boy, is he ramping up the the uh, the election campaign and coming out with all of these BS uh, 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 black uh, commercials, trying to win your vote over. I hope you guys. Well, we already know that there's a few ignorant black folks out there who are are, are stupid enough to uh, vote for him, and I don't care whether you're a. a, 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 a Republican or a, uh, a Democrat, but most of these uh, black Republicans out here see fit to uh, think that this guy is in their corner. Went through his entire state in office, he belittled everybody who was of non-white persuasion. There's so many videos out here and, 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 and tapes out here of this man uh, 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 talking about people and, and, and showing his true colors that you would have to be insane to even consider voting for this man again. We have a black judge right now who's being uh, prosecuted for her belief in uh, 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 keeping it real. And uh, it's ridiculous what they're doing to her right now. Yeah, she and just got elected too. And she's uh, uh, keeping it 100. And uh, they don't like to hear the truth. You know about the race issues that's going on uh, uh, in Louisiana. Now nah, they're out for her job in the worstest way possible. Uh, her name is uh, Laura Lynchry. It's the first black woman elected to serve as a judge in Louisiana in the 16th district district. Uh, though this should be great news to, to everyone, some non-black people are engaged, excuse me, enraged by their, uh, uh, their progress, especially 
after she kept it real, you know, when she started talking about the, the, the criminal justice system where she is. Let me tell you what she said. Uh, while she criticized the way black people are unfairly targeted by the criminal justice system, the Washington Post reported that Laundrie's outspokenness on the topics like police brutality, racial profiling, sentencing, and the disparities, you know, had put her on odds with uh, local prosecutors. And Lauren Lantry is the first uh, uh, black woman to be elected in Louisiana. And this should be great news. But uh, because of her keeping it real, because she likes to keep it 100%, now she's been manhunted for uh, uh, her comments. People are... are um, enraged about the progress that she made it as being a judge, especially after she, uh, you know, likes to keep it real with the uh, issues that she's having with the uh, criminal justice system. And she spoke and she told him, she said, uh, while this uh, criticized the way uh, uh, black people are unfairly targeted by the criminal justice system. She's she's got issues with 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 uh, with the way that they're doing things, the racial profiling, the the unfairness in the uh, uh, criminal justice system when it comes to sentencing, and now she's got local prosecutors out for her head. So this is again what I'm talking about. See that that you you have to continue to follow up even after you vote. She needs supporters and, and, and people behind her right now while she's doing what she can to uh, clean up crime, but yet keep everything on a, a fair and biased basis where where uh, blacks are receiving the same type of uh, justice that white people are receiving and not the injustice that they have been receiving before she got in office and while she's in office. That's the reason why she's keeping it 100. And now they out for her job. And now they want her off, out of office. And they're trying to say, please, do not give this woman, this judge, any more cases. The... Uh, The 16th Judicial District Attorney's Office in New Libra, Louisiana, is requesting that she be removed from cases. They're saying she's biased because she's admitting that the system is stacked against black people. She's speaking the truth about what's going on and they don't want her to have no other cases now because she's telling the truth about 
these black cases, these people are going to be unfairly uh, uh, sentenced or prosecuted in the office. And they're not okay with this. So they want to remove. And here's one of the so-called statements of the reason why they want her removed from office. One of the one of the pieces of evidence against her is this statement she made. African American men do not survive traffic stops with police. Why is this bad? Students have uh, backed this up. Uh, providing that we are much more likely to encounter the use of force that police violence is a leading cause of death for black people. And we know this to be true. The list goes on and on of the dead of black men and even women have suffered at the hands of police brutality. That's why we're living in two Americas. The, the, uh, the white people are not being subjected to the brutality that blacks are being uh, uh, subjected to. I mean, they had the uh, uh, white shooter uh, of, the, uh, of the Baptist church, pulled him over, got out of the car with no incidents, handcuffed him, took him to Burger King, and then took him to jail. This is a part of the brutality that I'm talking about that black people receive and that white people don't. Let's face it. We're living in two Americas. We're living in the America of the privileged. And then we're living in the America of the impoverished black and brown people who suffer at uh, uh, every given turn of their life. I know friends and I have colleagues right now who they just bow down, bow down and, and uh, step and fetch to whatever the police officers tell them to do when they're pulled over. They will not even think about standing up for their rights for the fear of doing so will get them killed. And they're right. It may very well lead to that. But I myself refuses to, uh, to be treated in, in that type of manner i'm going to speak up i'm going to express my concerns about uh their um handling of me and what's going on and my rights as a, a citizen that i'm not going to be subjected to the tyranny uh, of uh, of their brutality simply because I think that I'm going to be a coward because they're going to kill me. Okay, fine. I got principles. If I have to die being a man, then I'd rather die being a man than be alive and be a, a, a coward who are letting this type of brutality happen to yourself and to uh, other people of color.
I refuse to do it. I'm not going to do it. Plain and simple. That's keeping it real, ladies and gentlemen. That's keeping it 100. Teddy G will not allow himself to be run over by the poor bully who, who, who pushes my face in the sand and walks away with my girl because I'm too coward, too weakly to uh, want to do something about it. It's not going to happen with me. I'm here to tell you that right now. But anyway, I digress. Just getting back to the, this judge, uh, the, the people in Louisiana, you guys need to go to bat for this uh, a black judge who's uh, uh, standing up for the uh, injustices and uh, inhumane rights that is going on in, uh, in their judicial system, as well as the uh, inhumane practices that's going on in their uh, uh, penitentiaries. That's another episode altogether as well that I'll be discussing. Let's listen to a segment of Martin Luther King's speech on this subject. The vast majority of white Americans, spoken and unspoken, acknowledged and denied subtle sometimes not so subtle, the disease of racism permeates and poisons a whole body politic. And I can see nothing more urgent than for America to work passionately and unrelentingly to get rid of the disease of racism. Something positive must be done. Everyone must share in the guilt, as individuals and as institutions. The government must certainly share the guilt. Individuals must share the guilt. Even the church must share the guilt. We must face the sad fact. 11 o'clock on Sunday morning when we stand to sing in Christ there is no east nor west we stand in the most segregated hour of America the hour has come for everybody for all institutions for the public sector and the private sector to work to get rid of racism now, if we are to do it, we must honestly admit certain things and get rid of certain myths that have constantly been disseminated all over our nation. One is the myth of time. It is a notion that only time can solve the problem of racial injustice. And there are those who often sincerely say to the Negro and his allies in the white community, why don't you slow up? Stop pushing things so fast. Only time can solve the problem. And if you will just be nice and patient and continue to pray, in a hundred or two hundred years, the problem will work itself out. Well, that is an answer to that myth. It is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. 
I'm sorry to say this morning that I'm absolutely convinced that the forces of ill will in our nation, the extreme rightness of our nation, the people on the wrong side, have used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. And it may well be that we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. Somewhere we must come to see that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals who are willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, Time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation. Time becomes an ally to social stagnation. To the people who want to continue to hate a person because of the color of their skin hate a person because of the religion that they practice. This came from the 60s when Martin Luther King was making this speech. Ladies and gentlemen, it is 2020, the year has been equated with things from the 60s. We're still a world of indifferences to the plight of people who we feel that they're superior to us in every way imaginable. We would think after all these years of proving ourselves as A nation of people who are capable of pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. But yet when we do this, we're still met with the hostile behavior of the ones who ask us to pull ourselves up. And then when they do, they still show an indifference to, to who we are and what we're capable of and, and, and the achievements uh, that we have uh, given to the world through our intelligence, through our suffering, 
through the eyes of a people who can see in the year 2020 that we're no closer to ridding the world of of racism, of hatred, of of violence, of the brutality that is brought on us and other people like us. As they scream, build a wall high and far. Let's keep them out. Let's put out the ones that we have here. Let's degrade them in every known fashion that's possible to man. People, I'm so saddened in my heart that that without the 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 knowledge of of people being made aware of something that's been going on for centuries that their appalling silence is just as harmful as the racism that they face. So we're going to have to help time, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have to unite as a people of the human race and get rid of the separate segregation of there is one superior people among all people. This is not the case. We all know this. But you have those who want to remain in power, who want to continue to hold people down, knock them to the ground, stomp on their neck, and then pull up on their head while the pressure of their foot keeps them at bay. This is the reality of 2020. This is the reality of Latinos. This is the reality of black people. And yet, we still have not united as one against the the racism that that faces us today as the injustices that uh holds us down today 
Believe it or not, a bunch of us are in prison right here on the streets with the bars of racism, discrimination, and hatred are keeping us fenced in from a united world of, of peace and justice for all mankind. And I believe that Martin Luther King said it best in this social stagnation that seems to have a grip on a society. He says, So we must have time and realize that the time is always right to do right. Now that is another myth that still gets around. It is a kind of over-reliance on the bootstrap philosophy. And there are those who still feel that if the Negro is to rise out of poverty, if the Negro is to rise out of slum conditions, if he is to rise out of discrimination and segregation, he must do it all by himself. And so they say the Negro must lift himself by his own bootstraps. They never stop to realize that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. The people who say this never stop to realize that the nation made the black man's color a stigma. But beyond this, they never stop to realize the debt that they owe people who were kept in slavery 244 years. In 1863, the Negro was told that he was free as a result of the Emancipation Proclamation being signed by Abraham Lincoln. He was not given any land to make that freedom meaningful. It was something like keeping a person in prison for a number of years and suddenly, suddenly discovering that that person is not guilty of the crime for which he was convicted. And you just go up to him and say, now you are free. But you don't give him any bus fare to get to town. You don't give him any money to get some clothes to put on his back or to get on his feet again in life. Every code of jurisprudence would rise up against this. And yet this is the very thing that our nation did to the black man. It simply said you're free. And it left him there penniless, illiterate, not knowing what to do. And the irony of it all is that at the same time that the nation failed to do anything for the black man, through an act of Congress, it was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did it give the land, it built land-grant colleges, to teach them how to farm, 
not only that it provided county agents to further their expertise in farming, not only that, as the years unfolded, it provided low interest rates so that they could mechanize our farms. And to this day, thousands of these very persons are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies every year not to farm. And these You hear that? Not to farm. We can't get a loan to buy a car without jumping through so many hoops that we feel that we are acting in some major circus. We can't get a, even a small business loan if we want to uh, start our own business. We, we want to uh, uh, achieve a goal of uh, self-worth and be able to provide our community with goods and services that will support black growth and, 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 and black prosperity along with the hope that people will go back to the ways of, of being able to uh, support one another. Not just by goods and services, but by the goodwill of their hearts and the uh, uh, wanting to stand up for themselves and, and, and each other and and bring uh, prosperity back to the uh, black and, and Latino uh, community, the black and brown communities. Where we can get back to the wholesomeness of helping each other and, and not despising each other for, for what they have or in a lot of cases for what they don't have. We need to achieve a, a unity that was prevalent back then. Because we knew that we were not going to get any, any help from the government. We knew that we wasn't going to get any help from the outside communities. I say to you, America, it's a sad day here in February of 2020 to still be in a position of, of unfairness, of injustice, of disenfranchisement where we have to sit back and fight to be able to wear a hairstyle in school without being told that we won't graduate if we don't cut our hair and groom it a certain way to appease the eyes of someone else. where when you grab hold of your blackness, 
and proudly betray who you are that you're persecuted for it. Like this judge proudly speaks of, of the injustices that's happening around her that she's being persecuted and being asked to not be given cases and to step down or be put down from her judgeship. Or that we can see the Eric Goners of the world be brutally murdered everywhere, mainstream media and on social media. and being discredited and cops are found uh, not guilty and acquitted like we witnessed the acquittal of President 45. Ladies and gentlemen, our in silence over time has been reckless behavior on our behalf and the speaking up and, and, and showing your, your, your distaste also gets you discredited. We sit here and watch these people lose their jobs and lose their careers and yet the hatred still runs through their veins that they don't care that they have lost everything that has meant anything uh, a, a thing to their lives and to their children's lives and their grandchildren's lives that as long as they keep that hatred and that racism alive that they are willing to lose their jobs. You would think that social media and today's technology with all of the uh, cameras all over the place would, would sway the way that people do things, the way that they react and the way that they uh, show their hatred for one another would would would, would end or, or 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 ceased or be put away in a box to where it's only practice to where they can see it in their home. No, none of this has persuaded them to give up the the racist hatred that they have for people and and the crimes that they commit that the police commit uh, with their brutality that the the prosecutors um commit with their falsification of evidence 
to make sure that a black person or a brown person is is, is uh, sentenced to an unridiculous amounts of time in jail that the judges put on you. The judges accepts this false incriminating evidence and then lock you up for a lifetime and then perpetuate this genocide by doing it as to your children and their children and their children. I've let you listen to a speech from Martin Luther King from over 40 years ago. And up to now, we're still living in the same poverty-stricken areas. We're still being kept down by, by hatred and racism. Wake up, people, and come together and end this tyranny of white supremacy. In order to get rid of all of the effects of racism and the tragedies of racial injustice. And that is another thing closely related to racism that I would like to mention as another challenge. We are challenged to rid our nation and the world of poverty. Like a monstrous octopus, poverty spreads its nagging prehensile tentacles into hamlets and villages all over our world. Two-thirds of the peoples of the world go to bed hungry at night. They are ill-housed, they are ill-nourished, they are shabbily clad. I've seen it in Latin America, I've seen it in Africa. I've seen this poverty in Asia. I remember some years ago, Mrs. King and I journeyed to that great country known as India. I never will forget the experience. It was a marvelous experience to meet and talk with the great leaders of India. To meet and talk with and speak to thousands and thousands of people all over that vast country. These experiences will remain dear to me as long as the chords of memory shall lengthen. But I say to you this morning, my friends, there were those depressing moments. How can one avoid being depressed when he sees with his own eyes evidences of millions of people going to bed hungry at night? How can one avoid being depressed when he sees with his own eyes God's children sleeping on the sidewalks at night? In Bombay, more than a million people sleep on the sidewalks every night. In Calcutta, more than 600,000 sleep on the sidewalks every night. They have no beds to sleep in. They have no houses to go in. How can one avoid being depressed? 
when he discovers that out of India's population of more than 500 million people, some 480 million make an annual income of less than $90 a year, and most of them have never seen a doctor or dentist. As I noticed these things, something within me cried out, can we in America stand idly by and not be concerned? And an answer came, oh no, because the destiny of the United States is tied up with the destiny of India and every other nation. And I started thinking of the fact that we spend in America millions of dollars a day to store surplus food. And I said to myself, I know where we can store that food free of charge in the wrinkled stomachs of the millions of God's children all over the world who go to bed hungry at night. And maybe we spend far too much of our national budget establishing military bases around the world rather than bases of genuine concern and understanding. But not only do we see poverty abroad, I would remind you that in our own nation there are about 40 million people who are poverty-stricken. I have seen them here and there. I've seen them in the ghettos of the north. I've seen them in the rural areas of the south. I've seen them in Appalachia. I've just been in the process of touring many areas of our country and I must confess that in some situations I have literally found myself crying. I was in Marks, Mississippi the other day which is in Quitman County, the poorest county in the United States. I tell you I saw hundreds of little black boys and black girls walking the streets with no shoes to wear. I saw their mothers and their fathers trying to carry on a little Head Start program, but they had no money. The federal government hadn't funded them. They were trying to carry on and they raised a little money here and there trying to get a little food to feed the children, trying to teach them a little something. I saw mothers and fathers who said to me not only were they unemployed, but they didn't get any kind of income, no old age pension, no welfare check or anything. I said, how do you live? They said, well, we go around, go around to the neighbors and ask them for a little something. When the berry season comes, we pick berries. When the rabbit season comes, we hunt and catch a few rabbits. And that's about it. And that very thing is still going on today. So ladies and gentlemen, we're going to conclude this episode in part three. We'll begin on my next podcast. Thank you very much. And please, by all means, have your safe a safe and a blessed evening. Thank you for listening to
chilling with Teddy G.